I'm just flying by instruments. I have no idea if this stuff's going to work. I'm just, people are telling me it's going to work and they said, Oh, trust me. I've done this before. Yada, yada. But, but I haven't done it. And I don't know if it's going to work. As an operator, I know other investors are romanticizing multifamily investing, and I'm looking to learn from other investors mistakes. I know you are too, and you found the right place. Welcome to Myers Methods presents multifamily missteps. Hey everybody and welcome to Myers Methods Presents Multifamily Missteps. I'm your host, Jerome, and I've got Joseph Romante with me today. Did I get it right? You got it right, man. Good job. I appreciate it. I usually ask beforehand to make sure I get it right. Uh, do me a favor, Joseph. Will you give, will you let the listeners know how they can get in touch with you? Yeah, so you can get in touch with me on LinkedIn. It's probably the best way. Uh, just search for me, Joseph Romante, Triarch Real Estate Partners. Also, you can send us an email, info at triarchrep.com. Uh, you can always check out our website as well. We got a lot of good content there. We just we just revamped it, so really excited uh, for you guys to even check it out. Uh, and go to It's triarchrep.com. Perfect. And so you're down in Houston, and I've heard you on a few different podcasts, and I was like, man, I want to reach out because he's telling a real story having real talk on these podcasts instead of making it a fairy tale. Let's go to your background and kind of what you've been focused on recently, and then we'll dive into the, the deals. Yeah, so backgrounds, oil and gas, uh, engineer, civil engineer by trade, and went to school, went to work for Exxon after college, did that for five years. I worked overseas for them on their major capital projects division. Uh, I was on a $22 billion project of which about a billion was, was my cost that I controlled and just did a lot of numbers, you know, I was a spreadsheet jockey for like three years and just, you know, we're rounding to the nearest million. So it was a lot of really big numbers and you just kind of get used to looking at those kind of things and, um, and then kind of jumped into real estate more so as a hobby. It wasn't never intended to make a company out of it. It was just, you know, my, 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 my managers were all rotating back and forth from Papua New Guinea, which is where I was based at the time. So every time they would come back from rotation, it seemed like they always had a new rental property and I just got tired of their stories all the time. So I was a bit of a showman and wanted to show them up. So I went and looked into it. And at first I was going to buy these, I was going to buy like 80 houses and, uh, and then we'd had this big spreadsheet and we, for some reason we felt we needed $3 million to buy 80 houses up front and uh, kept trying to get a loan for $3 million. And all these banks kept laughing at me and hanging up. And finally one of them just said to go buy an apartment complex. And so we did. And that was just kind of how we got started. You know, we, we did some research. We, we um, read a lot of books or I read a lot of books and that was, that was it. I read like six books and, bought a complex, no podcast, no mentors, no nothing. I wasn't even in the same side of the world. I was in Papua New Guinea. So I didn't even see the property. So it kind of gives you a little bit about my mindset. Clearly you got to take action mindset. So did you even own a house at that point or was it your first transaction 
buying an apartment complex. I, I did own a single house. It was also not a rental. I've actually only owned one house in my entire life. I, I, that, and that was that one that I purchased for a friend, which again, kind of tells you, you know, I was making really good money over 200 a year. And so a friend of mine was needed some help. She had just gotten divorced and got tired of seeing her and her kids go from apartment to apartment. So I said, fine, let me just buy a house for you and you'll rent it from me. You'll just pay the mortgage and I'll build my credit because I've got nothing to do with the money. So I did. So I, I kind of went through the motions and bought a house, but not really as a purely investment deal. It was more of a kind of humanitarian deal. Got it. And so let's talk about the first deal because it's the one I know the most about, but you said you haven't really done a deep dive on the challenges that went with it. I know a great, a lot of great things happen on the backside, but let's really dig into it. So let's talk about it. It's like a 24 unit or something, right? 26, 26 units. Um, and it took us about six to nine months to even find that one property. And the way it came about was, well, first we had to find brokers, right? So we're, we're fresh in the industry. And the only thing we knew was LoopNet. I think it's still around today and everybody kind of goes there and it's kind of where properties go to die now that I know. But in the, in the beginning, I didn't know. So we went and went to LoopNet. And the biggest thing we did on there is we just got the contact info for all these brokers and finally found a broker who would, you know, give me the time of day. And, and this guy was just as crazy as they came, had like 10 cats, was always posting cat videos. It was really weird. But uh, anyway, we, we decided to do a deal with him and um, he, he's showing us all this stuff. And finally, we, we identified this one property and, um, and the story was that it was a, a guy who was retiring. He had owned two properties that were next to each other. And uh, we couldn't afford the larger one, but we could afford the smaller one. So we purchased the smaller one. And then as soon as we closed on it, well, this is jumping ahead, but uh, actually I'll skip that part. So, so we closed on this property. So it's a, a 26 unit property. We find it and we put in our money and we, we, you know, we submit our LOI, put in our money. And at the time, all of our pro forma, it was like a, like a single page Excel I mean, we could have done it on a napkin. It was really like just the basics and we didn't even do it. It was our broker who did it for us. And we looked at it and said, yeah, looks right to me. That's what the books say. So, you know, all the math was everything I read in the book and it was, I thought it was just that simple. And I think in a way, I think multifamily has really come into its own. I think back in the day, I really do think it was that simple. It wasn't as nearly as sophisticated as it is now, but that's just my opinion for doing it. And just from what I've heard from people, but anyway, so we're, we're looking at this super simple Excel file and you know, he, he put in some number of 3000 a door and he kind of set our rehab budget. Cause he said, oh, it needs about 3000 per door. And so that's what we underwrote to is 3000 a door. So we, we go in and the numbers looked good. I don't even remember what the return was. And to be honest, I don't think we were looking to make a big return on our first deal. We were just looking to get a deal done. My original partner, as I told you, I was working with a guy or maybe I didn't say, but uh, I was working with a friend initially who had like five rental houses and he was the one who was, who had like the most rental the most real estate experience of all of us. Uh, and we we're all at Exxon. And I said, well, Hey man, why don't you, teach me how to do this rental house thing. And that's when we got the idea of buying 80 houses. And then that kind of, and then once I got the word from the banker, they said, go buy an apartment complex. I kind of went the apartment route and he didn't want to come with me because he was, you know, he didn't, he didn't know it, I guess, or 
I forget exactly why, but anyway, he did not want to come with me. And so then we go and I find a new partner uh, and we, we put up, you know, 50, 50 on this deal. And I don't even know what he was thinking because he didn't know anything about real estate. And I guess I must have really done a sales job on him. It's the blind leading the blind. The broker gave you a half-baked pro forma. You read a few books but didn't have the experience and your partner didn't do anything. He was just following your lead because you're a strong leader. And so you guys get into the deal and what happens? Yeah, so I wouldn't even call it a half-baked. Like he like mixed the pancake batter in the in the bowl for us and gave us a bowl and we had to figure out how to bake it. So it, we had to set the temperature and the time and everything. It was, it was a mess. And the thing is, looking back, I... I was as confident as could be going into this. And maybe that just is my personality because, you know, I read all these books and the, the tricky thing about books and I'd say with podcasts and everything, like you guys listen to me now, like we're giving you a lot of knowledge, but really the knowledge is like kind of 30,000 foot level. And it's a completely different animal when it comes down to like, you know, when the rubber meets the road and you're actually doing it and there's nobody holding your hand to do it. And that's kind of where I got myself into. And, and that's kind of the advice I give to anybody is like, look, you can watch, you know, a thousand hours of podcasts. You can watch 10,000 hours of podcasts. It will never make up for you actually doing 10,000 hours of work. And eventually you're just going to have to jump and do it. So I just jumped and did it. So we went in and we put this property under contract, put the earnest money down. And up to that point, everything felt very familiar to me as far as buying that first house. You know, I was like, okay, I remember this step. Like this contract's very similar. I think it was the exact same contract. It was a small deal. So we're using the same contracts. And so I'm going through the motions and I'm, I'm doing this like I would buy a house. So I'm doing the same due diligence that you would do for a house. So we got a PCA property condition assessment and they say, Oh, roofs are shot. And it was like, okay, cool. No worries. we got this money planned for that. And we, we had the most crazy, um, air conditioning system, if you want to call it that. They had had window units, and everybody's familiar with window units. We had window units that were blowing into the fur down, and then from there, it would get dispersed throughout the unit. The problem with that is those window units don't have enough BTUs to cool down an entire apartment unit, and the volume of air coming out of that is so slow that it builds up moisture within the ductwork, and then you get a lot of really uh, undesirable things uh, growing within that ductwork. So you know, we just thought it was, I just admired it from, you know, just the South Texas, you know, redneck kind of perspective. I was like, wow, that's some, that's some redneck engineering right there. Like kudos to that guy for even doing it. But I digress. So we, we, we kind of laughed more at that than uh, we should have. So we get into this deal and we're like, okay, cool. We, everything seemed okay. Right. Like, okay. It's got walls and everything's there, but we're not scoping sewer lines and, Honestly, I don't know really what I did for 30 days other than we just kind of sourced the financing because, you know, the first time you do financing is a lot of work as well. And we did it. We had very little prep pre-contract for the financing side. So uh, we're kind of figuring that out on the fly as well uh, to get the loan. And, and also in the middle of all that, somehow we got tangled up with this company, ABC Funding, whatever, and I do remember spending a lot of time on that because they there was a fraudulent, 100% fraudulent thing. Uh, they were trying to get us to you know, put up some origination fees and it was actually not even a real company. And I proved it, but I, I spent, I don't know why, I, I took one of this rabbit hole during the contract, proved that this guy, and I had like Google screenshots of like their actual office that they claimed was in 
was in uh, London. It's actually a library. But uh, anyway, it was a complete waste of time that I had none to be wasting during a contract for no value. And um, so we're, we're sourcing a loan and we got this other company called Bank of Internet USA, which actually was a real bank, even though it sounds fraudulent also. Um, and they give us the loan. And, and so we, we've gotten a term sheet from them like a week before due diligence ends. So we're like, okay, cool. And, and they weren't multifamily lenders, which is a, a big deal. And it's a big deal because multifamily lenders are going to have checklists that you go through that are going to, that would protect you if you're in a situation like me and you don't know what the hell you're doing, they're going to at least give you some sort of roadmap to like, Hey, do these things at a minimum and you'll be okay. I didn't have any of that. So I'm just like filling out loan docs, signing guarantees and stuff and getting our attorneys to review it. And we gotten so caught up in the contract side of, of the loan closing. Meanwhile, clock's ticking away and we get down to, you know, we're in the closing period. We secure our insurance from some company who also was not a multifamily insurance company. It just, you know, again, I'm in Papua New Guinea. I'm Googling insurance apartments and just whatever comes up is, is what I'm doing. I didn't have a peer network to go to or, or meetup groups or nothing. It was just me and Google and Papua New Guinea trying to figure this out uh, and, and some books. And I'm just checking the glossary in the back of the books. They don't have any comments on insurance or debt. So it, it you know, you're figuring I'm doing the best I could at the time. So I, I close on this deal with bank of Aronet with this insurance company and yeah, everything was great. I was like, wow, okay. It wasn't so bad. I, I thought, you know, I was like, you know, I did it. We're good. And we closed on the deal. And the only issue we had on the closing was like the week after, Oh, we, we'd also got a contract. We were also interviewing property managers because that was something else you got to do. And because we didn't have one already lined up. So we found a property manager and this guy was a, a single family property manager and he was making his debut in multifamily with us. We were his first ever apartment complex, which, you know, we're thinking, okay, it's small properties, 26 units. We don't have enough money to afford, you know, a full-time person on site. So uh, it made a lot of sense to have an offsite manager and, and somebody who manages houses. I mean, surely it's very similar. You collect the rent, you take care of the building, what could go wrong? So we hired the guy. Um, and close the deal. We've got our manager, our debt, our insurance, everything seems to be okay. Then we give notice to the residents that, Hey, we're the new owners. Then the next week, like 15% of people move out They or they move actually across the street because the owner was a very hands-on. He was a your typical kind of mom and pop uh, operator. He self-managed the deal. He knew all the residents. They knew him. It was a really good, uh, it's a really good environment they had. And so now all of a sudden I'm the new guy. And so they got nervous and it's common. It happens on every property, even properties take over today. You get, you get uh, new management and people either skip or they, or they send you a whole bunch of work orders that you got to fix that the previous guy wasn't fixing. Um, so we didn't, we didn't get the work order thing, but we got a lot of skips. So everybody went across the street, which sucked. Cause like we could, you know, they're across the street. We know where they are. <laughs> and so like, in the way the seller kind of hamstringed us cause now he's, his occupancy went up and ours went down. So, and anyway, it all came back cause eventually they, the neighboring site, the further details that he had sold the neighboring site to the 
to the neighboring company, which was a Jeep dealership. And their plan was just to scrape the whole complex and make a parking lot out of it. So eventually they all came back to us, but that was a few years later. So anyway, we're in this deal. We just had a little dip on occupancy and so far so good. You know, we're sorting it out and we're trying to, you know, we're trying to X on the crap out of this deal, do all the tools and crap that we learned. We're breaking out all the management books and the courses we take at Exxon trying to apply all these different things. And it, uh, it wasn't even close to an exact fit. It was just, uh, you know, cause Exxon is a different, I mean, you, we almost had to dumb down a lot of the stuff because we're used to managing large EPC contracts, you know, hundreds of million dollar contracts. And so now we're trying to manage these, you know, ten, twenty thousand dollar subs. It just wasn't uh it wasn't a direct correlation. They're they're like, what's a change order? You know, here's our sign this contract. What? No, here's a PO. <laughs> so it's uh, we 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 kind of spent a few months working with different subs trying to get a quote to you know paint the property do some interior painting and stuff and naturally just kind of had some scope growth and we didn't have a, a detailed plan as far as what the rehab was when we closed on a loan which was a big mistake you know you should always know at least 80 90 percent of what your plan is before you close on a loan and of course there's going to be some things that you're going to finalize after you close but you should have a pretty good idea of what your business plan is before you close and and, and we did not, we knew we were changing the roof, but we left the interior renovation as a question mark because one, we're still based in Papua New Guinea. We actually hadn't seen it yet. And so we're just based everything on photos. Uh, and two, we just didn't know, right? So we're in this deal now, we're touring it with our subs and they're giving us all these crazy ideas on things we can do. And for the most part, the rehab ended up being painting, we were adding uh, yeah, washer and dryers and we were adding um, central AC. So that was kind of our scope. So it grew to about a 10,000 per door renovation right, right out of the gate. And we were okay with that because we were funding it out of cash and we, we knew that, okay, well, we were going to get this, you know, bigger return. We thought it was going to be, you know, we had calculated we'd get a good return out of it, but nothing crazy. We thought we we're going to increase rents like, a hundred dollars. And so anyway, and also part of it was the scope was we're going to do two units and they're going to tell us what the cost was. It wasn't a, a, a GC who came in and told us the whole thing. They said, well, let's do one or two units. So we actually did four units and we're in it and we're renovating. And part of the AC process is to get a permit. And so our property manager goes and applies for the permit. And part of the permitting process is you've got to submit an environmental. And we didn't do an environmental because it wasn't on the checklist for the lender and we didn't know to do an environmental. A lot of people want to be profitable multifamily operators, but lack the knowledge, deal flow, experience, and capital to be successful. They often try to overcome these challenges out of order, slowing or eliminating their ability to get their next deal done. We've developed a framework that allows them to gain the knowledge they need to find profitable deals. When they do, they create the time and location freedom, as well as the generational wealth they desire for their family. The Myers methods of multifamily investing have proved to be the fastest way to establish credibility and properly grow an apartment portfolio. If you want to know more about our four-step process, jump over to MyersMethods.com to get our free four-step guide to getting into multifamily investing. Let's get back to the episode.
So we go and do an environmental. And by the way, this property was built in 1964. So we do an environmental, comes back hot for asbestos in the joint compound. It was just over the limit. It had like the, the legal limits, like 2%. And we were just over that amount within the joint compound. I mean, my first email was, oh crap, you know, and I sent that to, to our partner and I said, we're in trouble. And then the next email is the property manager telling him, stop work, get all the guys off the site. Because, you know, working in the oil industry, we're very familiar with, with asbestos. We know of all the risk involved in, in how you're supposed to handle it. So I knew that how to get those guys out of there as soon as I became aware of it, get them off site. So we got them off site. Uh, and then we managed the, you know, the inquisitive emails and calls we kept getting from them wanting to know why we suddenly shut the site down. And so we just kept quiet and dodged that the best we could. So now we're getting environmental guys involved. We're okay. Okay. Well, how do we, how do we fix this? Now we know we, I'm four units physically down. I can't lease them because the walls are down and I can't re renovate them because it has asbestos. So I'm really stuck. I bought, I'm, I bought a property and I, I basically took four units offline, 15% offline. Uh, and I have no way to get it back online. So that's once it, that's, that's where we're at now. That's about four months into the property. Uh, or five months. Around that time, we get noticed that the insurance that we purchased, well, while the broker was a reputable broker, the insurance company that he had purchased it from was not. So he accidentally purchased fraudulent insurance or the guy he purchased it from defrauded him. So we didn't have insurance now. And this is June, you know, so we're going in hurricane season in Texas and Houston starts in June. So we had just started hurricane season, found out that we don't have insurance. Um, and if you know anything about insurance, it's very hard to get insurance again, if you've lost it while you still own the property and you're now trying to put insurance on a property that you own that currently does not have it just because it's from a, from a risk perspective, they're viewing it as, you know, there's potentially something that could have happened and then you file a claim for it. So we were in a hot spot, hot seat uh, without the insurance and then with asbestos. And then on top of that, I'd say at around a six month mark, I got, I got laid off from my job. So now I went from this super high paid, you know, making almost quarter mil a year engineer to making zero. And then also I was, had a negative cash flowing property which I was a guarantor on for recourse. So it was a very bad situation six months into owning my first property. And then that's, you know, the next day though, I mean, I think I felt I was more pissed than upset, you know, that it happened uh, that when I lost my job. And so like the next day I joined a local real estate group and, and luckily like I kind of saw the writing on the wall, like two weeks prior that something was about to happen and so I'd already kind of started making plans and plus the property was doing bad. So I'd already also for that, for both regards, knew that I need to find some mentors. I need to find some help. And so I attended a couple of real estate groups, uh, just as introductory courses and then finally found one that I liked. And then, so the day after I got laid off, I joined this real estate group. I spent at the time, it was like $10,000 to join. 
And it was strange because I was like, typically people would join that group to learn how to buy an apartment complex. And I came to the group already owning an apartment complex, but had no idea what I was doing. So it was, um, you know, a unique situation. And I spent no time telling everybody my story saying, Hey, this is the situation. All right. I need to fix this ASAP. What do you do? And everybody recommended I sell the property and take a loss, which for me, didn't really sit well with me. You know, I, I, I made a whole bunch of money and the idea of taking a loss and losing a lot of the money I'd made or majority of the money I'd made over that five years and kind of starting back at zero did not sit well with me. So I, uh, I didn't listen. Uh, I finally, I found my, my business partner, my current business partner. I met her through this organization. She was the executive vice president of, um, a very large management company that that oversaw all of the properties for this real estate group uh, for the most part, at least the CEO's property as well. I know that. And anyway, she was uh, she was kind of the only person in my corner that said, you know, you could you could actually salvage this if you do a hey, you're in a great location. So like the one thing I did right, which I think just from luck, um, and it's the one thing, you know, I did the one thing that I think everybody knows about real estate and that's location, location, location. So I bought this property in an amazing location. Had I not done that one thing right, I wouldn't be here today. It'd be a completely different story. It would have been Joseph Bermonte loses everything on first deal. So instead we bought in a great location. And um, so the, the, the workaround was, just to throw more money at it. So we went from doing a initially a 3000 per door renovation to what then grew to a, um, it was like a, a 10,000 per door renovation at what we were doing uh, out of cash. And then ultimately the, the solution to fix everything was a 30,000 per door renovation. And that involved coming with a plan, getting a proper, general contractor who, who does multifamily and uh, to go in and bid the whole thing. And so we had everything bid out. We had a scope really defined really well, a nice, beautiful contract that, you know, uh, you know, that's Exxon guys who like our contracts. So we had a great contract and we, we went to work. So we, we, so we put everything kind of everything packaged up, got a new loan with a new lender. That was a multifamily lender. We financed the rehab uh, and the only additional thing I had to do to secure that new loan was I had to put additional money down to, as an additional collateral. And this is all for recourse. Uh, but I didn't have any real additional collateral because I'm unemployed. So the only thing I had left was my 401k. So I cash out my 401k. I take the penalty. My partner puts in additional money as well. And, uh, and so we secure this loan. And and still to this day, so it's, we're, and this is after that first year of ownership. So I'd owned it for a year, screwed everything up for six months, spent six months kind of learning the industry and, and finding a solution and getting the right team around me. And then uh, we're at the end of the first year mark and we're, ref, we're refinancing everything, putting in. Uh, so at this point, we've, we've doubled our original investment uh, into the deal and still have made zero distributions and have no proof that it's going to work other than just the houses around me rent for more money. The houses around me are million dollar homes. We had one or two comps for other properties showing that it worked, but still it was, we were showing that we were going to increase rent like $600, 
which is a lot. <laughs> and so, um, we went in and we, we cashed this out, kind of doubled down on stupid. If it would, if, if, if this would have failed, I would have basically been doubling down on stupid, but luckily it worked. So, you know, it makes it look well, but, uh, we, we cashed everything. Or I cashed everything out. I'm all in on this deal and we get to work. And so I, we're, we're getting away and the, right away. The first thing we do is we, uh, we redo. So prior, actually we'd redone the asbestos contract. So our original bid to do the asbestos was like, uh, it was more than $10,000 a unit. So we go and and that, that's way too much. I mean, that, that would, that we couldn't afford that. So we work with the guy and we say, what do we, what do we really need to abate here? Do we really need to abate everything? Um, or can we leave something, some walls in place? And so we actually didn't need to abate everything. We only abated the walls that we were getting behind. So, and also all the wet areas. So we did any wall that we were getting into, uh, and then any wall that was a wet area or had plumbing for future needs. So in case we ever had to do a, few, a plumbing repair in the future, we could cut open that wall without any concern. So by decreasing the scope, we went from over ten thousand dollars to under fifteen hundred. Uh, so drastically cut down the, uh, the the price on the abatement. Um, so we get in, we vacate the whole property because we didn't want guys in hazmat suits walking around uh, occupied property with residents there, them seeing this stuff and then them deciding to call their attorney saying that, Oh, it hurts when they breathe. So we went in and we just vacated the whole property and, uh, and then went in and did the entire abatement. And then we went in and had the GC go behind them and we started renovating units. So start to finish, we've done it in about nine months. And, you know, we had change orders along the way, just like every project, you got some scope growth and we went from Formica to Granite Counters. And I think we did one other kind of significant change, but for the most part, it kept it relatively reasonable. Um, and we got the project done. So it was a, you know, a nine month ordeal and we're, it was stressful. And also around this time. So I closed on that loan. Uh, and then also I, I coincidentally get a job right at the beginning of 2013 um, because it's, you know, I also have to support myself. And at the time I was, I, I found a roommate. I was living with a roommate. I was paying like 400 bucks a month in rent. So I was just like, I'd completely cut all my expenses uh, just to really preserve all the capital I had left in my account, which, you know, if I could do it over again, I would have, giving myself a better budget. Cause one of the mistakes I made is I just had, you know, a couple hundred grand just sitting in my account and I wasn't really like metering it. Like I wasn't, you know, I, I wasn't monitoring it so much uh, as, as much as I was spending. And uh, so I, I wasted a lot of money just being a single guy in Houston without a job and too much money in my account. But anyway, I hindsight 2020, I would have, how to put up an auto distribute from my savings to my checking to give myself kind of an artificial paycheck to myself. But anyway, that's pro tip for you as an entrepreneur. Uh, so anyway, I'm, I'm, I've really cut my expenses for the most part, my, my main expenses, although I tended to sometimes probably a little too hard on the weekends initially just kind of get over that depression. Cause that was sorry, being fired. It's really depressing. And that was, that was depressing. And I, don't, I didn't tell my parents or my family until like two years later, it was really, really embarrassing. Um, and, and depressing. So anyway, I did get a job. Um, 
after six months. And also because I was really focused on the real estate for that six months because I had a property, I had everything. All my nest egg was this one deal. So I, I took a bunch of these CCM courses. I was going to these real estate groups, like meetings, like on a regular basis, talking to anybody I could, really deep dive real estate for six months. That's all I did. Uh, and then I got a job. So beginning of 2013, I get this job right as we're signing the loan, starting the rehab. Uh, and I'm working in oil and gas sales, which was great. I mean, I was used to, you know, the oil industry. So I had that background and sales is, you know, you're, you're kind of making your own hours and you work, you know, sales is really up to you. So I was, you know, I was probably working half the time my actual day job and half the time my real estate kind of side hustle thing. So, uh, but still, you know, making good money. Um, so I, and also it's, it's just, it's imp, I, almost impossible to go from a high paying W2 job to a hundred percent real estate overnight. Like you're just not going to happen. And I, I don't think at that time I'd really had the idea to be full-time real estate either. I, I was still, at this time still of the mindset to just save my money. Like I knew because I was in this real estate group that people did make a living out of this. Uh, but still for the most part, I was mostly like, I needed to save my money and, and save the money that I had in this deal. And then I'll worry about doing syndications. So anyway, and plus I didn't have a track record, right? Like my track record was, yeah, look at me, look how badly I screwed up this deal. I had nothing to show people. If anything, I gave people a reason not to invest with me at, at that time. Um, so I'm, uh, I'm working now. I've got this rehab going on still working really late hours and, and also just kind of back up. So in the beginning I was still, I was working for Exxon and the cool thing or I mean, the, the interesting thing I guess is because of the time zone difference. Cause I was in Papua New Guinea, I would work until like seven o'clock for Exxon. And then from seven to about midnight or 1am I'd work uh, my, my real estate job. And for Houston time, it was nine to noon. So I was working in the mornings for Houston and all day for Exxon just really burned the candle on both ends. Uh, but it's a unique situation because of the time zone. I realized you can't, you know, if I was living here in Houston, I couldn't necessarily do that. It'd be a lot harder. Uh, but that was a unique thing. So anyway, for back to present day. So 2013, I guess I'm working, doing the best I can to manage this rehab. And um, we get in towards the end of 2013. Uh, we're doing the punch. Everything's going okay. You know, we're spending the money. Still don't know if it's going to work or not. You know, we've spent, uh, we purchased the property for $650,000. We've spent at this time over $600,000 on the rehab. So we've, you know, spent almost as much as the purchase price. Uh, and then we started leasing and, and it starts to lease up slowly, but surely, you know, those first couple of leases are, you know, a, a sigh of relief, you know, then they come and they come, they keep coming. And it's, it's an interesting experience when you, when you lease up a property because you, you know, it's been vacant, you don't know if it's going to work. And then, you know, I'm just reminded of that field of dreams movie, right? If you build it, they will come. So we built it, we renovated it and they came and it was, it was great. And it was, and then I just remember it when it all kind of came together, right? Like all this time, I'm just flying by instruments. I have no idea if this stuff's going to work. I'm just, people are telling me it's going to work and they said, Oh, trust me. I've done this before. Yada, yada. But, but I haven't done it. And I don't know if it's going to work. And if it doesn't work, 
I feel like a fool, right? And I've lost everything. I have no money. In fact, I owe the bank a bunch of money. So I'm in a really bad situation if this didn't work. Um, but fortunately it did, right? The leases came and that was my first sign that, okay, it's working, it's working. Finally, we stabilized the property. We go to refinance and we get that initial term sheet from the lender. And I'll tell you what, man, I was one of the happiest days of my life when I saw how much they appraised the property for. Like, I'm getting excited right now just thinking about it because it was just so... Whew, man, it was such a relief. And to see like the loan proceeds were double what their purchase price was, you know? So we we did it extremely well. And we, you know, still a little bit of disbelief, right? I was still waiting for them to get an email and say, oh, sorry, made a mistake. Uh, but I never got the email. They, they, they honored the term sheet. Everything was fine. Everything was correct. The appraisal came in correct. And at the end of the day, we took it from like a $650,000 purchase, invested 700000 and then appraised at 3.4 million. So we just knocked out of the park on the first deal on a deal that everybody told me to sell and take a loss. We had, we just completely smashed it. So that at that point, now I had some credentials to go in and kind of, you know, some raise some money there. And so I, I, I beat that drum hard and I raised a bunch of money and we just did a whole bunch of value adds after that, because now, you know, now it's, it takes a whole lot to scare me. Right. Cause I, you know, when you've been through a big rehab like that, every other rehab looks small, you know, and now actually the, the rehab we're doing now is 37,000 per door renovation. Uh, and that one is, I mean, that one's big and it's cool. It's taking a lot of our time and attention, but I still feel like that first one, you know, that first big rehab you do is the monster, right? Like this one I'm doing now is bigger, by dollar amount and by total rehab dollar amount. Uh, but the first one, because everything was so new, I didn't know was the scariest for me. And I didn't know that it was going to work. I mean, I, I was told it was going to work because you read in the books, right? And, you know, like engineers, like we just read the book and we assume the book's true. So we're, I was used to teaching myself by reading books. But uh, I had no... At this point, I had a lot of money at stake. And so it was a little, it's a little different when you're an engineer and you're in class and they're telling you the laws of physics and dynamics, all that crap. And you're like, yeah, yeah, I get it. Here's the formula. I do the formula. I get the answer. Cool. But it's another thing when it's like, okay, well, here you've got, you know, half a million dollars at stake. So now let's see if you really got to pay attention. So that was, uh, that was the first deal, right? So we refinanced it. We got uh, we made a 207% return on the refinance, still own it today. And now we're talking with architects to scrape the whole site, uh, and put probably a 12 story mixed use uh, development on it. It's about $50 million development. And so it's just, you know, and kind of goes back to buying right, you know, and what's that's, uh, we, we bought right. And we always knew that, they would have an ability to sell because of this location and, and whatnot. But we never, we never really thought about redeveloping it until probably five years ago. What words of wisdom do you have for the listeners to wrap this episode up? You're never going to know. You're never going to be ready. You can listen to every podcast you want, read every book, take every CSAM course you want. You're never going to be ready. Just go and do it. Now that said, part of the reason why I made such a big return on my first deal was due to the cap rate compression. So I bought the property at a 12% cap rate more or less. And we refinanced it at I think a five or a six. 
So if we had done nothing to the NOI, we would have knocked out of the park. But because we also uh, we increased the rents from 540 to 1200, we doubled the NOI. That was a huge, you know, that, that also increased our return. So for us, the reason we had such a big return was the compounding effect of, of both of those. Unfortunately, on deals these days, you don't have that compounding effect. There is, you're not going to compress the cap rate that much. You're, you might, if anything, you are in a cap rate expansion territory. Uh, but if you get a hairy enough deal and you get it by a right, you can certainly compress it a couple of points maybe. But this was, you know, 2011 post crash. So you're never going to get to those kind of returns or those kind of compression rates. So just be aware that you do have to be a bit more sophisticated uh, when you're buying deals and, and do your homework. And I would say that also you're, there's no reason to do it on your own. Like for us, if you pay attention, a big part of my success was partnering and getting a team around me. You know, I had a good manager, a good GC, you know, I had a great equity partner with me who really believed in it. We actually brought in another equity partner uh, later on, uh, right before, prior to the refi, we brought in another equity partner to help also secure the deal, a minor equity partner. But that said, a lot of our value, you know, was bringing in all these people with experience to help get it done. So it's not really a, it's not a one man show. It's, you definitely going to have a lot of people who are doing it. So don't try to learn everything and be the master at it just learn an area of it, get really good and master that one area and then bring in people to help partner with and, and do that. So that said though, I, I do try to keep, you know, I, our group, we've got, uh, it's mostly, it's myself who does asset management. My two partners do the property management and we just brought on a partner who does construction management. So we've got, you know, the all three areas of real estate covered, but it's still, you know, there's the, the blame game, so to speak, as far as the roles and responsibility, who's doing what is still very concentrated. So everybody is very knows what they're doing. It's very good communication. And I feel some of the, some of the risk you run into is you can get these really big GP groups with just a lot of guys, everybody's so siloed and doing individual things that that can, that can be a detriment to you as well. So, you know, on the one end, it's good to partner, but on the other end, do keep your group small and you want to be, you know, you do want to master this. You don't want to be a Jack of all trades, master of one. Like you want to master this stuff and get, be the best at, at what you can be, be the best at your area of the multifamily uh, spectrum or whatever it is that you're doing. Joseph, I really appreciate you sharing with our listeners, man. You had a tremendous amount of value today. We'll talk real soon, man. Thanks. See you, man. Thanks for having me. You made it to this juncture, so you really love what we shared on this episode of Myers Methods Presents Multifamily Missteps. Do us a favor. Give us a five-star rating. Give us a review and share this with somebody who's interested in multifamily investing. Until the next time, the pack is with you. Ooh.